0: Welcome to Lawyers on the Block, the crypto law podcast from Roman Kubiak and myself, Kieran Forsyth, in the Private Wealth Group here at Hugh James. Over the series, we'll be looking at some of the major issues and hot topics in the crypto and digital asset space right now. Trigger warning, we are lawyers, so we'll inevitably talk about some of the legal issues involved. But don't worry, we'll try to keep the legal jargon
1: to a minimum. As the digital bytes settle on a pretty turbulent 2022, we look at what we see as the top five legal cases in the crypto and digital assets space of 2022. So I mean what's interesting with the next case is LMN and Bitfire Holdings and others. Well, two things. One is there aren't persons unknown here. The second one is you've got cryptocurrency exchange platforms here as the defendants, but also crucially as the claimant here, and it shows them L M N so sort of, I think probably trying to do the right thing, and again a lot of this is reputational, it's recovery of funds, it's recovery of client funds, and here you mentioned it before, Karen, didn't you? This is this is the case where the court permitted service out of the jurisdiction under this sort of brand new shiny as it then was, I think. The the service gateway at the time, which is in practice direction 6B of the Civil Procedure Rules, I think that'd been incorporated, actually, in October 2022. So the court permitted this not long after that. I think it was the following month actually, and it clarified the position of Norwich Pharmacal orders when serving abroad, which was obviously the clear dichotomy that the court dealt with in the in the Osborne person's unknown case so
0: yeah absolutely i mean on on that on that service gateway it's just interesting for anyone that's listening that you know has a has an issue like this where you know potentially assets have been lost etc and you need to serve abroad which is often the case in 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 these aspects well i I think here in this case it's worth looking at because mr justice butcher was quick to adopt as you've rightly pointed out the new service gateway at paragraph 3.1 Brackets twenty five close brackets of practice direction six b of the civil procedural rules, which is a lot of a lot of rules, but leave that to us. Which, as you say, introduced a month before, and I think you know what that does. is It applies where a claim or application is made um, concerning wanting information regarding the true identity of the defendant or a potential defendant, and/or what has become of the property of a claimant or applicant and where provision is made in the civil procedure rules to affect service. And I think here, the, this new gateway is of particular note for those involved in, in fraud proceedings. Because, as we've seen, it's often particularly challenging to establish the identity of these potential defendants. And, of course, the location of the misappropriate assets, where where the cross-border elements. Yeah. So. The provision of a specific gateway, which, of course, now has been acted on for such applications, I think removes the obstacle of identifying an appropriate gateway, which, trust me, is hard sometimes to
1: find. Trying to make one fit, isn't it? Exactly.
0: Yeah. For serving these types of applications outside the jurisdiction. So, yeah, for, for me, that's the most important thing, you know, from this case is showing
1: that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, LMN, for those who don't know, it's a cryptocurrency exchange, which operates here in England and Wales. And the defendants were, many will be familiar to, to listeners of this podcast, a Bitflyer, Binance, and that was the exchange whose dumping of FTX token was arguably the single biggest catalyst for the downfall of FTX. You had Payward, Luno, PTA, PTE, so Coinbase, and Huobi. So oh, yeah, okay. they're LMN, you know, like a bank. They hold the cryptocurrencies in their own name on the basis of a personal obligation to pay right amount to its customers. And that is in contrast to holding those cryptocurrencies, for instance, on trust for customers, in which case they'd effectively act as a legal guardian. And that subtle distinction impact, particularly in the case of bankruptcy proceedings, the point which obviously we discussed in our FTX podcast. But they yeah, but say they sort these information orders against those exchanges to bring to light details so to allow us to trace millions of dollars worth of crypto currency including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, which it alleged have been stolen by hackers. So here again, you know, to avoid tipping off the perpetrators, the hearings to serve outside jurisdiction and serve them by alternative means were heard in private. And you know, the key issues the court had to consider were was there a serious issue to be tried? Was there a good arguable case that, that it fell within this service gateway? And was England Wales the appropriate forum in which the claim should be tried? So Obviously, already looked at the service gateway in relation to whether there was a good arguable case. And the order sought. Well, first they looked at Norwich Pharmacal provisions, and obviously, case they looked at specifically the case Norwich Pharmacal Co. and Commissioners of Customs and Excise, a 1974 decision, which lends its name to the eponymous Norwich Pharmacal order. And they showed that it must be shown that the financial institution in some way facilitated the wrongdoing and have the information necessary to identify the wrongdoers. And then they also looked at, and here's the, we're looking at going back to the Osborne case, they also looked at the Bankers Trust case. They were looking at, which, you know, until LMN, there was very much the order de jour in crypto litigation. So they're arguably the more effective tool and could provide for the disclosure key and potentially confidential information. But one of the key passages from the judgment, which I feel sort of resolves that apparent dichotomy noted by Pelling and Osborne, Justice Butcher said, "I considered that there was a good arguable case on the merits of a claim under the Bankers Trust jurisdiction. I should add that, given that there seems no doubt that defendants are mixed up in the fraud, in the relevant sense which does not involve any fraud or wrongdoing on their part, I consider that these considerations also show that there was a good arguable case that relief should be granted under the Norwich Pharmacal jurisdiction." So, what they're saying there is, look. I'm resolving this dichotomy by saying you can go for a banker's trust. You can go for a Norwich Pharmacal. You can do that when the defendants are unknown and be in a different jurisdiction. You can apply for those and you can serve those using one of the gateways if it applies, which in a case where you've had cryptocurrencies or digital assets stolen by people abroad, you should be able to get. And here... Provided this is that England, Wales laws apply, and here the judge had no difficulty in finding that. He said, "LMN's an English company. There's a good basis to suggest that the situs, the location of the stolen cryptocurrencies, was in England. The key documents were here, and Anglo Welsh law governed the proprietary claims. So there we go." And he, again, it also permitted service by alternative means, though sadly not not as sexy as the airdrop NFT, but this time by old school email. <laughs> and in another case, he posted it by posting a link to the relevant documents on an online contact form on one of the defendant's websites. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Just the lengths they'll go to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But it's all really positive stuff, isn't it? It's just fantastic to see. And, and England and Wales really are. The, the the courts are are grappling with this, and they are giving effective judgments. Absolutely, uh, yeah, really, really good to see. It's really, really heartening because an asset that typically is so private, it it can be done. You can recover it, which is great.
1: So, last but not least, in at number one, there's another case which we discussed in a previous podcast. But there has been a key update, so we're looking at Tulip Trading. So this is. Good old Tulip Mania, Tulip Trading and Van der and others. But this is the Court of Appeal decision we're looking at now, which was handed down early this year, but was actually heard. In December 2022. So obviously we discussed that the High Court decision of March 2022 last year. That's right. But yeah, tell, tell me about this case, Kim, briefly. What's kind of the, the background to the Court of Appeal?
0: Yeah, well, just briefly on on, on this one is, um, and if you want to get into it in depth, like I say, you know, Series One of of, of the podcast deals with that. But essentially, here you're you're dealing with. The claimant, which is Tulip Trading Limited, company incorporated in, in the Seychelles and whose CEO, Dr. Craig Wright, had been resident in England since 2015.
1: Now, do we think this is Dr. Craig Wright or Dr. Dr. Wright go by any other names, do we think?
0: Well, there, yeah, there's speculation, isn't there, that he's the infamous Satoshi Nakamoto. I'm sure everyone is aware who that might be who's listening, but if, if not, then is the person who developed the Bitcoin blockchain, supposedly. any case, I think there was up to some 3 billion, or I think it was perhaps even more, of Bitcoin that had been stolen and owned by Tulip. What they were trying to do, Tulip claimed that the defendants, who were the core developers and or controllers of these four Bitcoin networks, owed a fiduciary duty to take steps to enable tulip to regain control of the stolen bitcoin and i think here that the key link was that actually these developers could create a patch that would allow recovery and it was all about whether they should do that out of a fiduciary duty you know are, are they tied to actually do that a really really fascinating case
1: because it ties in potentially so many developers and it's yeah what do they call them it said because they argued in the High Court, that they weren't an identify an identified individual or group of individuals, and instead were what they said a very large and shifting group of contributors without an organizational or structure, yeah. which is and isn't the key characteristic of Bitcoin's decentralized nature, isn't it? Yeah, and that, they relied on that. They relied on the fact that an inability to access cryptocurrency without a private key is fundamental to the system they said there was no serious issue to be tried it involved the imposition of extensive duties to take positive action and potential conflict with their duties to, the, to other owners and also they said because there was a disclaimer of liability which is that the software is provided as is and for those reasons the high court agreed with them they said there was no case to answer here and that they neither fiduciary or a tortious duty to Tulip.
0: Yeah, that's right. I, I think one of the uh, the key aspects here was that there was not a ruling out entirely of the possibility of a fiduciary relationship arising between software developers on the one hand and users on the other. Was that the aspect that catalyzed the, the Court of Appeal launch?
1: Yeah, I think so. Because Mrs. Justice Fork said that she can see that it might be arguable that when making software changes, developers assume some level of responsibility to ensure they take reasonable care not to harm the interest of users, for example, by introducing malicious software bug or doing something else um, that compromise the network. And if they control the networks, then it's conceivable that some duty might be imposed. But as you say, that's probably the, the trigger or the catalyst for the cause of appeal decision. They were then tasked with revisiting that question of whether the developers owe this fiduciary or tortious duty to an owner of cryptocurrency. Now, they weren't being asked to make a declaration that they did. They were being asked to see if there was a serious issue which could be tried on the basis of this, weren't they? Which is slightly nuanced, but it means that that then opens up the gateway and allows a service. So on this issue, then, so Lord Justice Burst, giving the leading judgment, first considered the approach to what it called the merits test, didn't it? Whether or not there was a serious issue to be tried, and she went a step further and looked at the case though around what constitutes a serious issue, and if you can apply the same test to that as to summary other kinds of summary applications. He then went on to give what I think is a really brilliant definition of what Bitcoin is how the technology underlying it works and its role as a cash token. So I won't go reading out in detail, but I recommend that any listeners really check out this Court to appeal tulip trading case. If you want to really understand a very plain English, great, breakdown of what bitcoin is how it works and how the blockchain works check out that judgment it's, it's very very good
0: yeah or or check out your blog which will be hosted my blog which will follow shortly ruins it itself. yeah absolutely which, which covers all of it it really does so it, it breaks it down into quite neat and succinct bite size information in terms of understanding all of these cases and, and the tulip one is is really really interesting because of the the kind of, well, I suppose you can't call it macro, <laughs> but it's the macro effect of what might entail for developers. It could be huge. And, and I think my suspicion is that it could be too huge of a win to actually be successful. That's my thinking. But who knows because it's it's the values involved it's the kind of responsibility of the ongoing responsibility that will always be required by
1: developers enforcement
0: enforcement it's just a it would be a huge yeah uh, you know, it would it would just be huge not just for Tulip trading company if they won but if if it was you know then allowed to be put into practice it, it would just be a huge weight and responsibility
1: I mean, how can you bind such a body of – it'd be like binding the the objects of a discretionary trust or it's – Yeah. That's – yeah. I mean, it's I – mean, because Tudor's case – and he, he summarized it, didn't he? He said that the, the developers, having undertaken to control the software of the relevant Bitcoin network, thereby have and exercise control over the property held by others, i.e. that Bitcoin – This has the result in law that they owe fiduciary duties to the true owners of that property with the result that on the facts of the case, they're obliged to introduce a software patch along the lines described and help Junot recover its property. And I mean, the it did look at all the leading cases, it looked at Bristol and West Building Society and Mossview and set up the legal test of who or what constitutes a fiduciary. In that case, essentially, says it's someone who has undertaken to act for or on behalf of an, of another in a particular matter in circumstances which give rise to a relationship of trust and confidence. Now, it's arguable whether these developers undertook to act for or on behalf of Tulip here, and that's the thing. But you know, what he said was he observed that the facts of Tulip were very new, and that he said that the categories in which fiduciary relationships can be identified are not closed. Yes. So it's basically inviting a, a discussion on this. What he's saying is, look, this isn't. We're not determining here whether this relationship exists, but we're saying we think it's right that there's a conversation about this, and this case should be allowed to proceed. Absolutely, and and in the best forum for it, I would say. Yeah. In in the world, actually,
0: because England England Wales has been the it's at the forefront, isn't it? Really. They've been the at the forefront of it. The courts really have. They've led the charge on it. So why not have the best legal minds? who are now used to these types of cases thrashing out the, the points in argument at at a trial, which ultimately this is now, you know, that's that's the whole point of the Court of Appeal.
1: Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? It's um a, a big factor in this, although we discussed, obviously, the Osborne case and where the value was more than the fiat currency value. But look, we're talking about three plus billion pounds worth of Bitcoin. So it's it's proportionate. Yeah. It's huge.
0: And actually, that's, I mean, that's huge, but it's not huge in, in comparison to the total amount of digital assets that are controlled or, or developed by these developers. So you can just imagine, I mean, let, let's say it's a success. Well, then, of course, for because the developers would, in fact, owe duties to Bitcoin owners, it would become easier for those victims of those digital asset hacks to recover their assets. But let's look at the impact as to whether you're a developer and, and what that judgment would mean for you. It would have a huge impact. You'd have to police blockchain activity, yeah. assist those who have been the victim of hacks or lost their keys. It could be hugely costly and potentially a very difficult, maybe even an impossible task against you know, a court of appeal decision that says you actually do have to do that.
1: And this swayed future development and progress of these blockchains.
0: Exactly, and I think that's that's the ultimate sticking point, isn't it? If you were the claimant here, I think it's a huge hurdle. But who who knows?
1: Are, are you saying this could be the death knell to a uh, to the decentralized, unregulated blockchain?
0: I think there is a danger of that, isn't there? I think it undermines the very inherent nature of what people like about it and why they invested in it in the first place. It's almost too much of an easy win, you know. But I suppose in, in the sphere of regulation, it's welcomed by, you know, let's say I had a paltry 10,000 pounds to invest in Bitcoin and I was the subject of a hack. Well, I would love this judgment. It would be amazing. But if I was a developer and apply my money, or let's say I'd invested in uh, on the other side of things, on in, in developers, then I would be worried. So it's a fascinating case. We'll just have to see what happens.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it well, it's no surprise to say that they allowed the appeal and said it raised a serious <laughs> issue. And I think that the words which might strike many people were when Lord Justice, as basically said, the Internet is not a place where the law does not apply. Mm-hmm. I love that. He said, look, this isn't the Wild West, folks. I'm the sheriff of this town. <laughs> 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 I'm going to tell you how this how this works. So That's amazing. And
0: it, it does show, you know, if, if, if you're in English, if your domicile is in England and you've been the subject of, of these hacks, then use the courts. They're there to help you. But look out for Roman's blog on, on the website. It, it'll go through all of this in, in, in a lot more detail and, and something you can take away with. And, and let us know if you have any questions.
1: It'd be really interesting to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We love, we love questions from the listeners, so... You know, all two of you out there listening. <laughs> Drop us well a- hold on,
0: are we doing really well in Uganda? We're, we're doing really here.
1: well. We were doing yeah. uh we had we had good good listenership or listener figures in uh the Cayman Islands and now we've got good good figures in Uganda. So in Uganda,
0: these territories just pop
1: up. Thank you very much. Uh our listeners in Uganda, the Cayman Islands and as they say in just a minute, and around the world. So there we go. Well, I think that that's probably a nice place to end it, isn't it?
0: But Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks very much, Rowan.
1: Uh, cheers, Kieran. And thanks everyone else. And uh, yeah, keep these the, your questions and uh, topic ideas coming in.
0: And there we have it. That wraps up our podcast for today. Thanks for listening to Lawyers on the Block. If you made it this far, then you clearly enjoyed it. So why not subscribe to make sure you hear the next episode as soon as it comes out? Remember nothing on this podcast is financial or legal advice. But if you do want to talk to a lawyer about any crypto issues that you may have, then please do get in touch at crypto at hughjames.com.